was watching a football coach give a prep talk to his team before the game the other day. And a coach does that to get his team fired up, get them motivated, get them focused. And I feel like our soloists do that for the speaker. They get us fired up, motivated. They prepare us. So I want to thank you for all the soloists in our church today who practice so hard behind the scenes to encourage us to get up here. Thank you, Kate, for your song. We have an awesome God. He's always the same. He's always there for us. Good morning, everybody who's here in person and those who are listening online. I hope everybody's doing well today. And if you're not, if life is challenging, because it can be, maybe today's a rough day, maybe it was a rough week, may we all be encouraged as we spend time in God's Word. We're here to meet simply for Him, to praise Him and worship Him. And He is in our presence, so more encouraging we can have to know that. So if we can open our, with a word of prayer and ask for the Lord's help in today's message. Lord Jesus, we simply gather here in your name. Lord, we do not gather here to honor ourselves, to talk about worldly things or things, our accomplishments or what we can do, or what we want to do. Lord, we simply just gather in your name, Lord. We gather to hear your word to what you want to be said and heard today. We gather to honor in your name, Lord. And we ask now help for the message, Lord. Every speaker who gets up here needs your help. Our jobs, Lord, just to be an empty vessel, to listen to your spirit that guides us on what to say and simply point people to Christ, Lord, like John the Baptist pointed people to Christ. Lord, when he said, look, here comes the Lord who takes away the sin of the world. That's our job as, as speakers, Lord, just point people to Christ. So we ask for your hand in today's message. May it be a blessing to all of us and encourage us as we walk out these doors this week. We pray all these things in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. When I was a little kid, I used to like to play loud. My mom used to say I was good at entertaining myself. But with that, I was a little destructive. I broke a lot of things. I damaged a lot of walls. I was a frequent flyer of the word timeout. And I remember one of my report cards from school and also one of my progress reports from CCD. So for those who grew up Catholic, no catechism classes, um, I had a progress report. So I had a progress report from that and a progress report from school. And they both said the same thing about me. And it may shock some people when you hear this. It may. It said in those progress reports that I talk too much. Pretty funny, isn't it? I think that's pretty funny because as I get older, I don't want to talk to anybody. <laughs> the Lord has a sense of humor, doesn't he? But perhaps I was this way. I loved loud things. And one thing that I loved growing up was ambulances. Now, when I grew up, they were bright red in my neighborhood. And uh, a hospital was near our, our home, so oftentimes you would hear them and they would go by the street. And I was a little kid, so I didn't know what they were about. But I loved the lights. I love the sounds that they made, and the thought that you can drive as fast as you can and everybody has to get out of your way was a pretty cool concept. Not until I got older I became aware what ambulances were used for and how seriously they are used and what, how important they are. You know when you see one, someone's not doing well at the time, but you know they're getting the best possible care at the time. Personally, I've had a couple ambulance trips. Three times I've been in an ambulance all after I've been married. 
It's not Caitlin's fault. That's my wife. I just had a point that I just dawned on me. I'm grateful for them, but I'm not too fond of them. And I hope to avoid them in the future. And the reason why I'm bringing up the word ambulance is because a couple months ago, I hurt my back really bad. I had to be taken to ER. And it was the kind of pain where you just grit your teeth and you shake. Look across this room. I know a few of you know what that type of pain feels like. I literally could not walk for four hours. I laid on an ER bed and they brought the medication. The first dose did nothing. They said, well, we have to wait for the second dose, Mr. Poons, just hang in there. So I sat there in bed and just gritting my teeth the whole time. But what does God do? He tells us to pray. So I prayed. I prayed, Lord, may the next dose of medicine come soon and I get some relief. And hopefully I get some strength at least to get up from the hospital and be able to go home. But I knew I hurt myself bad. I knew I would need time to recover. And of course I would walk again. But the thought came to me as I laid in that bed. I said to myself, I'm really going to appreciate walking again when I'm able to, to be able to walk without no pain, it's going to mean more because I'll never forget the pain. You see, in life, we all have experiences. As Christians, we have a journey before Christ and we have one after our salvation. We know we can't explain everything, the why, but we know the Lord can turn those tough situations, those challenging times, the testings and trials that he allows us to go through so that life means more. Our faith means more. The title of my message today is simply these words, when it means more, when it means more. And here are my two points for today's message. When it means more, we live a more thankful life. The second point, when it means more, we live a more faithful life. When it means more, we live a more thankful life, we don't take things for granted. We appreciate things more, the little things. Praise for the Lord comes more freely. It overflows with thankfulness. When it means more, we, we live a more faithful life. We love him more. We're more obedient. We worship and serve him more. We seek not to sin. We seek his kingdom, not the world. We make stands for him. We simply put him first in everything in our lives because our faith means more than anything this world can offer. This message today is not a message to compare who's more thankful than another or to compare who's more faithful than another. It's simply to look in the mirror at our own lives. Are we living a thankful and faithful life in the Lord? Are we living a thankful and faithful life? So my first point, when it means more, we live a more thankful life. And I'll give myself an example. So the Poonsles have two cars. We have one that's in good shape, one that's, eh, it's on its last legs. It's a, it's, a, it's a good car, but it's old. And say someone sees me in that situation and says, you know, Rick, I have a, I'm using my imagination here, but I have a, a red, black convertible sports car. <laughs> and I want to give it to you as a gift so that you can cruise around the Bay Area on the weekends, take your wife somewhere nice. And I'm just saying that, you know, my birthday's in October. It's this month. <laughs> you have one laying around, I'll take it. But say in this situation, someone gives me a sports car as a gift. Would I be thankful? Of course I would. Who wouldn't it be? But say in my next scenario, I did not have a car. I didn't have the money to buy one. 
Say it was challenging to get to work. I had to take the bus or mass transit. Maybe on a cold, rainy day, when I leave work, I can't just get in my car, turn on the heater, turn on the tunes, and go on my merry way. I have to walk to the bus stop or BART. On a hot day, I just couldn't get in my car and turn the air conditioning and go on my merry way. I had to walk somewhere. It was hard. It could be hard to get to work. And say someone sees me in this situation and says, you know, Rick, I got a, it's not a sports car, Rick, but I have a sedan to give to you. It's a good commuter car. Will you take it as a gift? Let me ask you, in these two scenarios, when would you probably be more thankful? The second one. A car would mean more because you had nothing and one was given. When it means more, we live a more thankful life. If we can turn to the word, Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. It's funny how this scripture came to mind because it talks about Peter heals a crippled beggar. I thought my situation was bad in the hospital. Think about this person's life. Let's read what scripture says. Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. The Bible says, One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple cake, all beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by his right hand, he helped him up, and instantly this man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Amen. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. All the people saw him walking and praising God. On, did, on this day, did not walking mean more to this man who was once lame? Think about his life before Jesus touched him, before Paul, in the name of Jesus, told him to walk. A tough life, a beggar and a crippled. As a beggar, he had no money, desperate, hopeless, helpless. He couldn't just pull out money and get food or buy anything he wanted. He was relying on others for food. He begged every day. I was in the hospital for four hours. He begged every day, and he was a man. How many years did he live? A couple decades. He was crippled. Now, being crippled is a difficult cross no matter what time period a person lives. But in this time, he didn't have modern technology to make things easier for him. Again, he was relying on others to move him. He was carried to the temple gate every day. Think about his personal life. Probably not married. Probably had no children. How was his childhood? Did he have loving parents? Did he have anybody to call a friend? Maybe he was made fun of. Who cleaned him and bathed him? How many outfits did he have? We have an outfit for every season. 
My closet is filled with clothes, thank God. My kids have clothes. Perhaps all he had was probably what he was wearing. A tough, mentally exhausting life this man lived. Isn't a picture of our lives before Christ? How helpless and hopeless and spiritually we all were. Like the beggar, perhaps thinking we know what we wanted or needed in this world, the man was asking money for money because that's what he needed. He thought he needed it. But in reality, like all of us, all he needed was Jesus. Like before Christ, looking to the world for everything to satisfy our lives, but nothing can fill it. We had a big void, didn't we, before Christ? So by his praising, jumping, and walking around, he showed by his action and his words how thankful he was. It meant more to walk on this day. Imagine what walking meant for him for the rest of his life. How about another person in the Bible who expressed their thanksgiving and prayer for what the Lord did in her life? We won't read the whole story because we don't have time, but we can summarize the story of the birth of Samuel, one of the great prophets. We love this story about his birth and his mom, Hannah. So we know from the story in 1 Samuel chapter 1 that his mom was a wife, uh, one of two wives to a husband, named Elkanah. But Hannah could not have children, while the other wife had sons and daughters. We know from the story the other wife provoked her, taunted her, because Hannah could not have children. Can you imagine the ache in her heart? So Hannah took the matter before the Lord at the tabernacle and prayed, and vow to God, if you give me a male son, I will give him back to you in all his days to be a servant in the tabernacle. So in 1 Samuel chapter 2, when the time was ready and Hannah gave her son to the Lord, she poured out her heart in thanksgiving. The Lord had given her the desires of her heart. Her words reveal an in-depth knowledge of the Lord, what he did in her life, his character and his deeds. So let's read just the first two verses for time's sake. But we get the point from these two verses and how powerful her words are. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, the Bible says, Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. I love verse 2. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. You think about the two people that I read about, a crippled and a beggar and a woman who couldn't have children. Difficult trials. You get their aches when you read their stories. Hopeless and helpless and desperate. God healed one and he gave a son to the other. And what do they both do? They express their thanksgiving and praise. Does not the Lord want to do that in our lives through our experiences? Does he want us to get to know him better? His character? His deeds? To live a life that it means more. Because when it does, we live a more thankful life. I look at my life before Christ, and I look at it as after and all the things I've personally gone through, and we all have a list and a journey. But I tell you something. I've seen his healing. I've seen his restoration. I've seen his strength in difficult times. I thought I had none. I've seen his provisions. It's made me a more thankful Christian. We all can relate, can we? I don't know everybody's story in here, but I have a good idea. You know why? Because we have a prayer list. I've had a prayer list for decades. 
Women have the study. The women raise their hand and seek prayer. The men do it in the men's meeting. We have a prayer list that Jean and Gilbert manage. You can go on it, see people's prayer requests. And you know when someone shares or they write it down, it means a lot to them. They're going through something because they need prayer. So think about this for a second. We all can relate. I know some of you, every time you pay your bills every month, it means more. Perhaps because money's been tight. Perhaps you didn't grow with money. Perhaps you didn't have a closet full of clothes. We live in an expensive area, don't we? It means more every time you write that check and that bill's paid. Some of you, when you go to bed at night, you lay your head down on your pillow, it means more to have a home. Perhaps it was struggle in life to get in home, get a home. Some people are homeless. Maybe you rented for a long time, always wanted to have a house, but you had, didn't have the money. It was tight. You moved around a lot. It's hard to settle down. But now you have a home. A little more grateful when you lay your head down and sleep. For some, it means more to have a peaceful home. Because you know what it's like not to have a peaceful home. You didn't grow up with one. You had a broken home. Many people have broken homes. Perhaps you fit in this bucket. Or perhaps you had an unpeaceful home as an adult before Jesus. Oh, but things are different now, aren't they? Yeah, you're grateful that Jesus is the foundation of your life, your home. His presence and peace roams around your home. I think about this all the time, Caitlin. For some of you, because you're healthy, it means more every time you walk through these church doors to hear music, to hear his word, to be in fellowship. It's just extra sweet because it can be hard to get here. We have brothers and sisters right now I know can't be here because of their health. I know it means a lot to them when they walk through those doors. Perhaps you had to wait for something in your life. He went through a trial, and then the Lord provided. Does it mean more when you wait? Or you worked hard for something? Perhaps you waited for a spouse, a job, having children. Perhaps you had to wait like Hannah to have children. And then God provided. You waited for the desires of your heart, and the Lord provided, and now it means more. Got one more. Some of you, when we look at our flag, it means more because you served our country. We all know people that served in the military and some who don't. And the veterans that I know, man, they love our flag. Some of you, it means more because you grew up in another country. You lived in another country. You know what it's like to have the freedoms that we have. See, the list goes on and on. And maybe some of these fit in your bucket. Maybe there's others. But as you can see, the Lord can use your life experiences, the testing and the trials for life to mean more. I want to be a Christian that it means more. I want to live a thankful life, which brings me to my next point. When it means more, we live a more faithful life. We're going to read uh, Daniel chapter 1 when I get there, but I want to set some context first. In chapter 1, we know the Babylonians came to Jerusalem and besieged it. They took the king. Judea's king was delivered into their hands by the Lord. And with some of the articles from the temple of God, and also took some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility to be trained in their ways and ultimately serve in the 
Babylonian's king's palace, we know Echebenezer. If I say the name right, Adel, I try to practice, but if I mess up, forgive me. Four of the men who were chosen we know as Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. And we know the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. So let's read Daniel chapter 1, 8 through 15. Let's read the story. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord, the king, who signed your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young man your age? The king would have, king would then have my head because of you. Daniel said to the guard whom the chief official had pointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and the last three men that I mentioned their names, these were their names before the Babylonians changed their names to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Verse 12, and Daniel says, Please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat or water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nursed than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and wine, and they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. We know from reading on how the Lord lifted up these three, these four godly men. But Daniel showed by his faithfulness to God, didn't he show his faithfulness to his God? The decision was made to avoid violating the laws of Moses regarding the foods the Jews were not allowed to eat. The law taught, for instance, that they could not eat food from idols. But Daniel, despite being captive, despite now being in service to the Babylonian king, despite the risk, what he had to give up, the dangers of his life, it meant more to Daniel to be faithful. It meant more to be faithful. Do we live our lives this way? Does being faithful to the Lord mean more? Do we make stands for him? You're going to have to all the days in your Christian life. As soon as you get saved, till the day God takes you home, you're going to have to make stands for him. Does it mean more to make a stand for him? Do we separate from the world? Now we know we have to go to school and work and we're in our neighborhoods. But do we separate from things that can influence in a bad way? That could take us from the Lord? That could take our children from the Lord? Parents, we have a responsibility. Got to make a stand. Does our faith mean more to make a stand? To say no? Do we stay away from bad influences in our lives? It could be family and friends. Maybe you're in this situation. You used to drink, but now you don't drink. Your family thinks it's odd. You don't go to places that you used to go, but your family thinks you're odd. People in the real world, I don't do the things I used to do. We simply let the Lord make the decisions in all aspects of our lives. Where we live, the jobs we go for, how we spend our money. We say no to worldly desires. We, we give up and surrender things. We wait for the Lord and not go before him. Because being faithful be more to anything this world can offer. 
It means more than anything our flesh may want. Let's read more stands by these godly men. Classic stories that we love and know so well. But they're so encouraging. I think there's a reason why we read these a lot. Their stands are amazing. The next one I want to read is in Daniel chapter 3, the image of the gold and blazing furnace. So let's set some context before we start with verse 13. We know an image of gold was made by Nebuchadnezzar. It was a command as soon as the sounds of instruments, music was played, all must fall down and worship the image. Whoever does not fall down worship will be immediately thrown into the blazing furnace. We know Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego did not follow this command. So some of the astrologers told the king. Let's read Daniel chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. Fierce with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of God I have set up? Here's the test here. Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, and lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music. If you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? I think verses 16 through 18 are one of the best quotes in all the Bible. Nebuchadnezzar thought he was in control, didn't he? He thought he had all the power. Worship me! Your God can't save you. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. We know how the Lord rescued these men. Again, another example, it meant more to be faithful despite the cost and risk. It meant more to them. What a stand. No one's threatened my life as a Christian. But we all know there's times where you have to make a stand for the Lord. You have to give up stuff. You have to fight the fight, fight the battle. But we have to hope and pray that our faith means more, that we do that. Amen. So later in Daniel, the same type of situation happened to Daniel. We know Daniel aligns in very well. In chapter 6, another king in place, King Darius, there was jealousy because of Daniel's life, because of his stance, because of his faithfulness. Those who were jealous could not find anything against him. There was no charge against him. They couldn't find anything. What a faithful man. Let's read Daniel chapter 6, 6 through 11. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who pay, prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. 
Now your majesty issued the decree and put it in writing so it cannot be altered. In accordance with the law of the Medes, the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. I love Daniel's response to this in the next verses. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. He didn't run away. He went home. What did he do? Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. What a stand. Again, his life's in danger. Again, he's taken captive to Babylon. He's threatened with the choice of food. He makes a stand, and once again, he's serving God faithfully, but he gets attacked again, and once again, he proves how faithful we are. I pray that we're all faithful to the Lord when these things happen in our lives. What did Daniel say? It's just what he says. He says, you can hear his words or what he's thinking in his heart. I'm not going to stop praying. I'm not going to stop what I always do. I always pray to my God. In the good times or the bad. I know where to go to in my time of help. I'm not going to run away or bow down to King Darius and these, these fools who do attack my Lord. I don't care what they say. I don't care what they do. I don't care how I look. I don't care the costs, what I have to give up. I'm going to stay faithful to my God. It meant more to these men to be faithful. By their words and their actions, may we be encouraged, brothers and sisters. So let's remember these two points today. When it means more, we live a more thankful life. When it means more, we live a more faithful life. You know, I was uh, praying about sharing a personal story, and I, I feel like I should share it because I think it hits home. I think we all can relate to it. All of us here have waited for something in their lives, right? Everybody has. It can be a hard to wait. And, I, and I'm usually a personal person, but the Lord's saying just share it, and I wasn't going to share it. It's not even written down here, but I think I'll share it. So when I came to church, um, I came with a, with a girlfriend. And God brought, some of you who know me well know this story. God used a girlfriend to come in, get me to church. I wasn't a Christian at the time. I didn't come to church to be saved. I didn't come to church to hear a message from the pastor. I came because of that. Well, praise God, two months later, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. That relationship ended. And I thought, and we know the world, a lot of us grow up in the world. What do you do in the world? If you break up with somebody, you find another boyfriend and girlfriend. Right? We all, we all know that. And I thought that was what I would do, because that's how you, I grew up. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. The Lord showed me through wisdom and through reading his word that uh, this was an area that you need to give up. So I, at the time, I lived with my parents, and it was, I think it was like, it was after midnight. Parents were asleep, and I was in my room, and I said, okay, Lord, you're, I'm just going as a Christian. You know you don't want me to date, or in my life, this is my conviction. You want me to just concentrate on being a Christian, growing, learning your word. So I got on my knees, and I said, Lord, I promise I will not date another girl until you show me it's the one that you want me to marry. That was my personal conviction. I didn't know I was going to have to wait 13 and a half years. 
Now, I'm not here to put a halo over my head or pat myself on the back and saying that for those 13 and a half years, I was the strongest Christian. Did I have struggles? Yes. Did I complain? Yes. Was I not perfect? Yes. Did I go in from the Lord and complain sometimes? Yes. Was there good days and bad days? Yes. Was there encouragers? Of course, because a lot of us have to wait in different areas of our life, and we all know what we're waiting for. Some of us, we pray for each other. Was there a discouraging word? Yes. Did people question your sexuality? Yes. Did people question my manhood? Yes. Did people think I was a fool? Yes. Check, check, check. But we can relate, right? Because sometimes we have to make a stand and give something to the Lord and wait patiently. Every time I was attacked, every time I was discouraged, I kid you not, when I would get home and spend my time in prayer, I would say, Lord, you know what happened today. This situation happened in this area. You know the journey I'm taking, Lord. But I always ended my prayer with this. Lord, no, longer, no matter how long I have to wait, I gave this area to you in my life. It means more to stay faithful. No matter how long I have to wait, the cost... The jokes, the ridicule, people think you're foolish. It doesn't matter. It meant more than anything for me to wait because I made a commitment to the Lord. We can relate. I know we can relate, brothers and sisters. So when you're going through something and you're being tested, remember that. Get on your knees and say, Lord, it means more to stay faithful to you, Lord. I don't care how long I have to wait. I don't care what I have to give up because it means more to be faithful. And I could stand here today, thank God for his mercy, grace, and strength. But when I asked the Lord, may the next girl that I date be the one I'd marry? Well, Caitlin, you were the next date. You were the next date. So I just pray by that story that encourages you. I know we can relate. Remember, when it means more, we live a different Christian life. We're more thankful. We're more faithful. Amen. You know, before we end in a word of prayer, I want to say this. This message was directed to those who are Christians. If I ask a Christian, what does the Lord mean to you, what would you say? What does the Lord mean to you? We'd all pretty much say the same thing. If you asked me that question, I would say, Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Savior. There's a point in my life where I realized I needed to be saved, and I was dead in my sins. That I came to the cross, and based on his death, burial, and resurrection, I asked him to be my Lord and Savior, to forgive my sin. And now I know heaven is my eternity. Amen? If I asked this question to you, you'd probably just say the same thing. I hope and pray that everyone in this room, when I say and ask that question, you would say the same things I just did. But if you can't say that, if you cannot say that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, there wasn't a time that you asked him into your life to be your Lord doesn't matter how times you go to church. doesn't matter who your parents are. It doesn't matter how much you serve. you got to accept him as your Lord and Savior. We had scripture memorization class today. And Cindy, you said the word when you're sharing. The word accepted. You have to accept him. So when I ask that question, what does Jesus Christ mean to you? I pray that you would say, I know him as my Lord and Savior. If you do not, think about it. You mean everything to him. He gave his life to you. He created you. He wants to forgive your sin. He wants to be in your heart so that you have peace, that you know if you die tonight, heaven would be your eternity. Please think about that, Christian. Talk to someone if you are not a Christian, if you have questions.
Amen. Let us end our time by bowing our heads in a word of prayer, please. Lord Jesus, we are grateful for our time together, Lord. When you get up here to share your word, Lord, it's your word. These thoughts that you gave me, Lord, are not mine. It's what you pressed upon my heart, um, Lord. And Lord, we just pray that it means more in life, Lord. When it means more, we're more thankful, Lord. So whatever you're doing in our lives, have done in the past, maybe live a life that we are thankful. And Lord Jesus, as we walk this journey out these doors, we have to live by faith in a dark time, Lord. It's getting darker and it's, and it's getting scarier out there. May we stay faithful, Lord. May it mean more to stay faithful to you, Lord. To be like the godly men that we read about today. For their stands, there's a reason why you put them in your word, Lord, because their stands were so great, because meaning it meant more to be faithful, Lord. So, Lord, as we walk out those doors, Lord, we pray that you encourage our hearts, that you protect us on the road until the next time that we meet. And, Lord, we pray for those in our midst who don't know you, whether someone's in their seat today or listening online or, or those in our workplaces or those in our neighborhoods, those in our families who do not know you yet, Lord. We pray for their salvation, that you would visit them, show yourself to them in a mighty way so that they would become Christians and know you, Lord, as their Lord and Savior, that they would know that heaven is their final home, Lord. You know the list of names, Lord. We lay them at your feet and ask for your blessings on the rest of this day. In your most precious name we pray, amen.